I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Will O.J. Howard be a Buccaneer when the 2021 season starts? And could Odell Beckham Jr. be headed to the Bucks? Will the Bucks draft a quarterback this year? We've got all your mailbag questions answered 100% correctly on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. We'll get to all your mailbag questions in just a second before we get started. As we tape this podcast, uh, you know, today, Tuesday, by 4 p.m., teams are supposed to declare if they are designating a franchise or transition uh, player, and that may or may not change. I'll tell you what was happening Monday. The NFL had not yet given, uh, at least late in the afternoon on Monday, had not yet given teams the the official salary cap number for 2021. And this is something that they desperately need. Obviously, there was talk about perhaps delaying or moving back that deadline for the franchise or transition player designations because without a salary cap, folks, you can't begin to know how much money you have, um, you know, how are you going to do contracts beyond 2021, all those things. So how do you know who you're going to designate as your franchise player? So we're getting closer to the March 17th uh, start of free agency, uh, which is the, um, you know, it, it's it's the official signing day, first day you can sign players, first day of the new league year. But before that, there's the three-day tampering period, which the, the legal tampering period, it goes on anyway, but March 14th. So we're getting closer to that time when these guys will all become free agents or hit the market. They can begin negotiating with teams. They can actually sign contracts with teams beginning uh, on the 17th at uh, 4 p.m. So, you know, they need to get business moving here. And the reason why they don't have a salary cap number yet, they think it's going to be around 180, 180.5, 181, $183 million for each team, which is significantly lower um, than it has been by almost, you know, 17, 18, 20 million dollars. Uh, and that's because, you, you know, it's based on shared revenues. And the revenues last year obviously went way down because there was limited fan attendance in some cities, no attendance. Uh, so that's the shared revenue. And, you know, what they do with the salary cap is you're trying to project things, right? So uh, I, was, I was reading something that uh, DeMaurice Smith said, who's the uh, executive director of the NFLPA, and basically, uh, he said, you know, you're trying to project, okay, what what is attendance going to be like? Is it 80%? Is it 90%? Is it 50%? You know, what we're trying to, to anticipate uh, what the revenues will be for attendance. And then also, they're in the middle of negotiating all these TV deals, um, 10-year TV deals with all their, their network partners. And some of those may not begin for a couple more years in terms of the increased revenues, but some may begin right away. So, again, that's, that's something else that the, the union would like to wait uh, until they have a firm idea or maybe some of those agreements signed and they're on the verge of being signed, many of them, uh, very close to having some of those deals done. And then that would increase the salary cap. Uh, that would certainly help the players and, and frankly, help the teams too. Um, because I think what's going to happen this year, Steve, is you're going to have, if it stays the way it is, um, the salaries will be there for some of the top guys, 
But, man, you're going to see a lot of one-year deals and a lot of guys return to their teams, which may be good for the Bucs um, because nobody has any money. There's about 10 teams that have some money under the salary cap. There's a bunch that are sort of, you know, like the Bucks, where they're about $15 million or less under. And then, you know, there's some that, that have a lot, like Jacksonville. Um, but for the most part, um, there's not going to be a ton of money out there for free agents, and there's always a whole lot of free agents. So it's sort of musical chairs. Yeah, if you're someone like Chris Godwin, you may almost welcome the trans, the franchise tag in this case. Mm-hmm. Not that he wants it. He wants his long-term deal. He wants money. Uh, but the free agent market and the money may be better next year to negotiate a Might long-term be. contract than this year. And he's young enough. Mm-hmm. If you're Shaq Barrett, you're a little older. You've already been franchised a year. You probably do want to get, go ahead and get that deal now, even if it's maybe a little less than you would have gotten. Uh, but you want that long-term security. But you know, we, we saw that some in the NHL. We've seen it in baseball, where you know some you know outside the top guys, the contracts aren't there. Taylor Hall signed with Buffalo for a one-year deal in, in, in the NHL, and it was basically let me let me get you know I think he's getting eight million or something like that. Let me get it for one year, and then I'll work on my long-term deal next year. When you hope more fans are in the stands, the television revenues are coming up. Uh, much like the NFL, the NHL has new uh, television deals they're negotiating it right now. And, and, you know, you hope that, that the, the opportunities are going to be better for long-term deals next year. So there, some NFL players may be looking at it that way. Um, now, the NFL, you know, the risk of injury and all that is there too. So you kind of have to weigh that. Do I want to wait till next year and hopefully get a big deal and sign a one-year deal now? Or do I want, really want to get my long-term deal now? And then, you know, you got to have teams willing to do that too. Exactly right. And, uh, you know, so all of this hopefully will be worked out maybe by the time you guys hear this podcast, maybe on uh, by today uh, at uh, 4 p.m. when they're supposed to have a franchise player, they will. And if they do, I, I firmly expect it to be um, Chris Godwin. I mean, I, I've gone back and forth with this. I think you can make a very good argument that Shaq Barrett's the more, uh, you know, important player just by virtue of edge rusher versus receiver. Um, and there's no no question that um, those guys are hard to find. I mean, he had 19 and a half sacks two years ago, eight sacks last year, had three against the Packers in the championship game, uh, four overall in the playoffs. He's an impact player. There's no question about it. He'll be 29, I think, uh, next November, I want to say. Um, and, you know, a, a guy that you'd absolutely want on your team. But the problem is if you franchise him again, uh, you have to guarantee him 120% of his salary, which he made 15.8 last year. Uh, it's not as much as he could make on the open market, but he wants a long-term deal, and I'm not sure he would be very uh, amenable to uh, to being franchised again. I don't know if you'd be looking at a contract holdout situation or what because uh, he wants that long-term deal, and nobody wants to be franchised twice, uh, and he's getting up there in age. He's not Chris Godwin. He doesn't have time to wait. Frankly, none of these guys do. They play a collision sport where you can be done for your career. I mean, even Chris Godwin will, will be facing – uh, a very nervy year, right? Because he could go out there under the franchise tag, and even though he would make some $16 million, which is way more than a 2.4 or so that he made last year in base salary, um, it's only for one year. And if he were to have a, a cataclysmic injury or a season or career-ending injury, um, he'll never make any more money. So you get the money while you can. You get as much as guaranteed as you can. But Chris Godwin is only 25 years old. Uh, Shaq Barrett is obviously much, much older than that. So um, I, it just feels to me like when you have a guy that you drafted in the third round that's emerged as a number one receiver, and you've got him and Mike Evans for another year with Tom Brady. Remember who your quarterback is. Remember what they're trying to do here. They're trying to go back-to-back. They want a Super Bowl with Brady. They want to maximize 
uh, all the talent around him they can. Godwin does so much as a slot receiver in this offense. It's not like Julian Edelman. He's not just running routes. He's blocking. He's rooting out linebackers. He's doing a lot of things in the run game, and he can do it all, and he's a key part of their offense, and I just don't think they want to take a guy uh, you know, with the best years ahead of him and you know, let him go someplace else and, and be their receiver. Because after next year, I mean, Mike Evans is going into his eighth season. You know, um, even though he's under contract, I don't know how much guaranteed money he has left. But uh, you know, you might if you saw, saw a drop off with him, maybe you make a decision after next year. But in any case, that's my prediction. I don't know if it'll hold true, um, but it's some, certainly something that I think is is almost becoming a consensus that if they if they do franchise a player, it'll probably be Godwin and not Shaq Barrett. And then. You say, well, you could lose Shaq Barrett. Well, yeah, you absolutely could, and maybe you do. Um, but at the end of the day, just because guys go into the market and talk to other teams, sometimes, and this doesn't always happen, but sometimes um, you know, it's a way of setting your market and saying, well, we have a disagreement. We think we're worth this. You think they're worth that. Aha, here's a team that's willing to pay me uh, what I want. It doesn't mean you shop the offer. You come back to your team and say, hey, will you match this? That's that's really not the way teams do business. Um, but by the same token, it, it does give it does give agents and players a chance to look around, and they can still you know they can still sign with their former team. Um, nothing to preclude that. So I, I think you might see that with Levante David. I think you might see that with Shaq Barrett. They simply don't have a ton of room under the salary cap to get a lot of these guys in. Uh, and you know you've got to make room for draft picks and things like this as well. Uh, but the Bucks will create some salary cap room. We know they're going to do it with Tom Brady. Again, trying to figure out what that first year is uh, in terms of, of you know how you can um, you know pay Brady, add another year, pay Brady some of his twenty five million dollars up front. He also has like uh, almost four million dollars in incentives, likely to be earned incentives because of what he got paid and bonuses to to win the Super Bowl and go through the playoffs. That might be paid to him in advance as a bonus. So there's a lot of things you can do to lower that cap number for this year and help you retain some of these free agents. But they have so many that it's they're bound to lose some. It's just too many good players that are available, whether you're talking about Indomitian Sue or Rob Gronkowski you want to get back or Ryan Suckup. Um, and the big three, of course, being you know Shaq Barrett, uh, Chris Godwin, and Levante David. I mean, those are all those are all key pieces of their Super Bowl team, not to mention Leonard Fournette and some others. So it's going to be a process. We're going to kind of have to go through it. But um, like I said, I think I think for now, if we get to the 4 p.m. deadline and they are going to designate a franchise player, I think it'll be Godwin. Check back on TampaBay.com. That can change at any, at any, at any moment. Uh, speaking of players, uh, Gerald McCoy was on SiriusXM NFL Radio. Uh, I think he was on with former uh, Bucks GM Mark Dominic, if I recognize the voice. But, you know, Gerald had – he had signed with the Cowboys last year. He was part of the Cowboys. He went to training camp with them. And then, like, I think the first day uh, he suffered a right quad injury, and uh, it was season-ending, and he only had a one-year deal with the Cowboys. Of course, you know, back in 2019, before Arian's first season in May, uh, they, quote, mutually parted ways, the Bucks and Gerald McCoy, after nine seasons – it was really kind of a contract dispute. It was kind of more than that. I think, uh, you know, for whatever reason, I don't think Arians had a good evaluation on McCoy in terms of what he wanted in that defense. And, um, you know, I think they knew they could get in Sue. And once they knew that, uh, that's when they released McCoy. They waited 
I think, until they knew that Sue wanted to play and that uh, that he was going to sign with them because they signed him quickly thereafter. McCoy went to the Panthers. He had an okay year, uh, made about $8 million, I think, that season, and uh, the contracts were similar, him and Sue. But uh, then he fell on, on, on the injury last year. So he hadn't played. He's 33 years old. And um, he was asked about about uh, about Tampa, and he just wanted to make it clear that he goes, look, you know, we didn't leave on bad terms. He goes, there's a lot of misperceptions about – you know, uh, myself and Jason Light. He goes, I've, I've talked to Jason Light. I've talked to the Glazers. Um, I text all those players over there, you know, uh, texted them during the season. We're good. Everything's good between us. I live in Tampa. It would be wonderful to play here again. And he said, you know, obviously when they were, you know, winning the Super Bowl, I was, I was rooting, I was texting them uh, all the time. And he goes, and all I've ever wanted to do is win here. So I would be I'd be very uh, uh, very happy to uh, to stay in Tampa and play for the Bucks again. We'll see. I I will say this: it seems unlikely to me that that would occur. We don't know what's going to happen though with Sue, um, and you don't know what McCoy you know would be willing to play for. The Bucks obviously are in a cap crunch, so if they needed a veteran uh, to 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 play inside, you know that maybe not as a rotational guy as a starter perhaps, but um, you know they're going to get William Golston back. They've obviously got. Vita Vea, who's going really well, and, and some others. And you may draft a guy. You just don't know. But um, it seems unlikely, <laughs> to say the least, that, that 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 may occur. But Gerald McCoy putting it out there that he's available to all 32 teams, including his former one. All right, let's get to the questions, Steve. All right, well, you mentioned some receivers, so we'll start in that category. We had two questions mm-hmm. about this. Scott asks, how's O.J. Howard's injury rehab going, and will he be ready for the start of the season? Meanwhile, Ellis asked, Will O.J. Howard be a Buccaneer when the 2021 season starts? From what I understand, I saw O.J. Howard uh, during the Super Bowl practices. He was out there, uh, was not practicing, obviously, one part of the team, but he was moving around pretty well. That Achilles is uh, is is pretty much healed. I think it's about a nine-month injury total. So he should be ready for training camp, and um, they have picked up you know the fifth-year option on him. He was off to a really good start before he got hurt. I know it was just a brief uh, couple of games, but him and Tom Brady spent a lot of time on and off the field together uh, in the short time that O.J. was still playing, and he was really um, you know, starting to come on. O.J. Howard's always been a talented, talented guy, and you know, particularly in the pass game, he's a difficult matchup. And so you know, when you look at a guy like Rob Gronkowski, who I think they want back, uh, but Gronk you know, is not going to play for that many more years, you wouldn't think. And, you know, they've got O.J. for one year uh, if they want him on that fifth-year option, which is guaranteed against everything except injury, but it looks like he's going to be healthy enough to play. So, you know, the, the odd man out in this scenario might be Cam Brait because, if you remember, a year ago, you know, Cameron Brait was the guy that um, uh, was supposed to make over $6 million. They, they gave him a haircut. He, he took a, a pay cut down to about $4.25 million. And he's back on the books now for almost the same, almost close to six, six and a half million dollars. So I think for him to stay on this team, at minimum, he may have to take another salary cut. Uh, and I, I don't know what Cam's thought is about that, or even if it's even, you know, the math works. I mean, again, what's going to happen with Gronk? Can you get him back? If Gronk goes elsewhere, would he play for somebody besides, uh, you know, playing with Tom Brady? Um, so all of that is in there somewhere. But as far as O.J. Howard goes, Young player, guy that you drafted, um, starting to come into the peak of his career, has had some really unfortunate injuries, and that's a that's a story. That's that's part of the problem with him. 
Um, but I would think they would welcome him back, and I would be surprised if uh, if he wasn't with his team. Now he's also a guy that if you wanted to, you could trade for one year. You know, you got one year left on his deal, and if somebody came and said, "Hey, I'll give you a, a fairly high draft pick for him. We really like him. We'll take him on for one season. You you save six million or so on the salary cap. Um, you go with some other tight ends, whether it's Gronkowski and Braid or whatever, but." Um, cause Bright's under contract for a number of years, but I don't know that that's the way they would go. Um, I, I think Howard will be on the team and I, and I do think he'll be healthy. All right. There were some reports on Monday and Joe asked about this, about OBJ apparently that Tom Brady would like Odell Beckham Jr. on the Bucks. He asked, why would he be willing to let Godwin get away for that locker room cancer? Well, first of all, Tom Brady, what Tom Brady likes, Tom Brady gets. Think about that first and foremost. I mean, a lot of people thought Antonio Brown, would, you would describe him very similarly, right? Only more so uh, because he had off-field issues. And certainly the last two places that uh, that Brown had been, um, you know, he got released by the Patriots, uh, you know, cut by the Raiders, vice versa, whatever it was. Obviously he had trouble in Pittsburgh. Uh, was suspended for eight games, and yet Brady really wanted him. And so guess what? Voila, he appears at midseason on the Bucks, and quite frankly uh, turned it on when they needed him to the last quarter of the season into the playoffs, and he's a Super Bowl champion. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know that Beckham – Beckham to me has been an extraordinary talent. I, I wouldn't put him in uh, the Antonio Brown category in terms of, of uh, you know, disrupting teams. He got hurt last year. For the Browns, I think they were happy with him. I know Baker Mayfield likes playing with him. The, the, the issue there would be would just be his salary. I mean, he's 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 got three more years left on his contract, and he's still an extraordinary talent. He's coming off a season-ending injury, and I think he's worth. I think his contract's about fifteen point eight million dollars or something like that, or fifteen something over fifteen million bucks. So you know, you, you would say goodbye to Chris Godwin, right? You would probably say goodbye to Antonio Brown. Um, uh, it would be very difficult uh, to make that decision, uh, you know, to take Beckham and, and trade for him. Then you're talking about also what are you giving the Browns? I mean, you're, you know, this is not a free agent. So they're going to want draft pick compensation. Are you really, you know, rather than just franchising a guy like Chris Godwin for, uh, you know, for $16 million or $17 million, you got no draft pick compensation. If you do that, he's yours. You know, you can you can put the tag on him. Would you rather than let him walk as a free agent, go someplace, and then now you're going to give up draft picks and pay Odell Beckham Jr. more money uh, or around about the same money or whatever, but for three years uh, be under contract with him? So I, I just don't see it happening. Again, if they lost, let's say they don't franchise Godwin. Let's say he leaves as a free agent. Let's say uh, something else happens that you know they're, they're not comfortable with the receiver position and Tom lobbies hard. Maybe they make the deal. Um, and it would all depend on what Cleveland wants for him. But uh, obviously Brady Brady likes all good players, and he likes all good receivers, so I'm not surprised he would like Beckham. But um, I, I don't see it as a fit given his contract situation. And just, just like I said, you're not giving up draft picks and paying a guy when you can just pay a guy. All right, Ren asked, since the 2021 draft isn't a good class for the Bucks' perceived positions of need, particularly interior defensive line, edge rushers, do you think that this year's draft will show fans whom the Bucks prioritize as having long-term future with the organization? For instance, drafting a guard, meaning re-signing Kappa becomes less of a priority? Well, I mean, I think you always look to uh, 
continue to to fortify your offensive line. Um, you know, you've got some guys. I'm thinking of Ryan Jensen, you know, and some others that are coming up on on uh, contract situations in the near future. Um, Alex Kappa, you mentioned, might become a free agent soon. I think they really like Alex. And my experience is that when you draft someone, especially out of a small school well, like he came from, and he develops into a starter, it's unfortunate he got hurt. Um, and they were lucky that Aaron Stinney, the guy that came in, did a really, really good job. I think that, uh, you know, I think that you're going to, you know, you're probably going to reward those guys, right? And it, it all, again, it's finances. It all depends on, on all of that. Um, but you always want to draft the best player you can. And if it turns out to be an interior offensive lineman, so be it. But I would think that they would be concentrating more on defense. Um, that's not to say you weren't going to draft an offensive lineman, but I don't see them then drafting one high enough to where you're going to say, well, you know, this guy's going to replace Kappa or this guy's going to replace uh, Ali Marpet or what have you. Um, but but they're going to need they're going to need to make decisions. I mean, you know, Jensen, uh, you know, is, is is going to be a free agent soon, and I think that uh, uh, you know you're always looking to fortify the offensive line. I think left tackle, you got one more year with Donovan Smith. Uh, to me, you know, uh, getting another tackle would be key, or you could move, uh, you know, may, may, maybe you move uh, somebody to left tackle and draft a right tackle. I mean, you just don't know how that's going to work out. But offensive line, when you have a quarterback like Tom Brady, you're always looking to to help that situation out. And I don't know what's going to be at 32. You know, sometimes the the last pick of the first round is the best running back in the draft, you know, and not necessarily that you're down on Rojo, but – He's going into his final season. Uh, Chiefs got you know, Chase Edwards-Hilaire last year in that pick. So There you go. Yeah, exactly right. So, I mean, I think that you, you just want value. You want the best player, you know, the best player available, they say, but it's always the best player available at, at a need that you have. And what if you lost Levante David? What if linebacker became a priority? I just don't see their offensive line. You know, again, always want to draft and develop those guys. You've got a little bit of depth with Stinning out guard. Uh, he can play either side. Uh, Marpet can play center. So you got some flexibility on your offensive line uh, for next year. But I, I, I think that you know it's it's always a a value position. But always think tackle first, then interior lineman, because there's more value on the tackles than there are inside. We'll see. I I, I don't I don't think that they're going to just blow Kappa off, and I don't think it's a tell if they were to draft a guard uh, fairly high necessarily because. You need you need two to play, and you really need more than that if you're going to get through a season without uh, without a big drop off. Look what happened to Kansas City; they lost four offensive linemen. I'm I'm going to tell you the reason why they weren't competitive in that Super Bowl was very simple: they couldn't block anybody. They they could not protect Patrick Mahomes, and as as talented as he is, and his escape artist, I mean, he's Houdini back there and making these crazy throws. Um, they simply couldn't block anyone, and you never want to be in that situation. Very few teams have five good offensive linemen much less six, seven, or eight. It just doesn't happen. There's a reason why guys are starters. When you get injuries, you know, uh, you have to have someone like Stinney come in and play and play well. So they've done a good job. I think they'll do it again, but I I wouldn't read anything into that. All right, Brian asked, do you think the Bucs will draft a quarterback this year to groom behind Tom Brady? If it falls right, yeah. I don't think they're going to do it with the 32nd pick. Now, you know, if one of the top quarterbacks, for whatever reason, started dropping like a stone, you'd first you'd be alarmed as to why that was happening. But um, I think there could be, you know, four 
quarterbacks going in the first round. The interesting guy, and I think we'll probably write about this a little bit, is Kyle Trask at Florida. You know, um, I think he's going to probably get into the second round, maybe late first, but I think he'll get into the second round. And you know, the reason is he doesn't doesn't wow you with his arm strength. Um, not an incredibly athletic guy or mobile. Neither is Tom Brady. Um, his arm's okay, but it, it's you know he makes good decisions and he makes them quickly. And sometimes that position is about you know the quick twitch ability to read out defenses and throw accurately. Look, all these guys. One of the things I'm always amazed at is like people say, "Well, that guy he's not very good. He doesn't have a big arm." Well, first of all, you don't make it to the NFL. These guys have thrown football since they were in high school or before. And you don't get to the NFL unless you can throw the football. Okay, They can all throw the football. They can all, as Brad Johnson used to tell me, hey, I might not have the strongest arm, but I'll break your nose with it. You know, And he was right, and he could. So understand they can all throw. Some, some can throw better than others, but it's about timing. It's about, getting, it's about recognizing and reading defenses. That, that position, we've seen Brady do it. It's anticipation, right? Um, and the nuances of playing the quarterback's position – wouldn't it be great for who if the Bucks were to say we're drafting a quarterback because we really like name the player and he's there, uh, even in the second round, and you say uh, we're going to put this guy behind the goat for two more years and he's going to learn everything Brady knows and and, and he's going to see how Brady prepares he's going to see his work ethic he's going to understand the offense all those things and then in two years you know you're not rushing a guy that's not ready to play but in two years maybe you have something so I, I they are doing their homework. On, on quarterbacks, you know, uh, they'll do their homework on all of them, but in particular guys like Kyle Trask because there's a possibility that he may be there. And you got to be prepared because, the, look, the, the quarterback position is the whole game. And, you know, I think that they like Blaine Gabbard. I think he's another guy we didn't mention with free agents that they absolutely want to resign. I've heard them suggest, and Bruce Arians has suggested, that maybe Blaine Gabbard is going to take over from Tom Brady when uh, when, when Brady retires. So, um, there's a lot of ways to do it, but you you need a young quarterback. That's so it's the oldest quarterback room in the league right now, and and so I, I think it is possible they could draft a guy. I don't know it's a priority because again, you're trying to win a Super Bowl. Okay, you've got the goat, so you need players around him. But um, but but it, it it would seem like a good time to do it if it fell right. Now Bruce Arians does realize Blaine Gabbert's 31, correct? Because when Tom Brady he retires does. at age 50, he when, he, when he retires at 50, Blaine will be 40. Is he okay to have well, Blaine take over at 40? <laughs> well, I mean, Blaine, Blaine is now using the TB12 method. Blaine, by the way, I don't know if you've ever seen this guy. He's jacked up, man. This dude, he's got, he's got some of the strongest. He's got a, first of all, he's got a strong – he's got a really strong arm. He throws it through a brick wall, and he's got, you know, uh, great feet and legs. And, I mean, he really works hard. So I mean, Gabbert Gabbert's a physical uh, specimen at quarterback, but he hasn't played in a while. But he's you know he 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 too is is out there trying to get better every day and learning from Tom Brady, and they they really like him. You know, uh, Bruce Arians has won games with him before, so that's why he went and got him. But um, yeah, he might be a bridge guy to the next guy. Uh, but you're right; if Brady plays till he's fifty, maybe Gabbert may retire before that. We don't know. All right, Tommy asked. Hey, Rick, with the NFL looking to add a 17th game, how would it be determined who gets the extra home game? And does the NFL want to do the 17 games to make up for lost revenue last year? I think they do, and I think it will happen. It's still got to be uh, collectively bargained 
with the NFL Players Association, but I think I thought they already got that from that the way. players. It's just up. Did to Did they them agree to, to it? Yeah, it's just up to them to decide they're going to do it. Which whether this year or next, yeah, yeah. Well, I I expect them to do it, and they the the way they're going to do it, um, it sounds like is, you know, rather than to make it fair from a competitive balance standpoint, it's an odd number game, obviously, but to make it fair, one year the NFC teams will visit the AFC teams, and one year the AFC teams will visit the NFC teams, and next year it would start. Uh, NFC would be at AFC. So you'd have one more road game than you would home games, right? You'd have eight home games and nine road games, and that's 17. Uh, and, and they would make it competitively balanced um, this way in that, um, you know, in this case, I believe that the NFC South would play the AFC South, and that would be the number two teams in each division uh, would be Tampa Bay at Indianapolis. So you imagine Tom Brady going back to Indianapolis where you know those Colts fans love, love him. Uh, and so he, that's that's where that game will be next year when the schedule comes out, if they if they go for the, the 17th game, which I think they're going to. So, yeah, they have a formula that I think they're going to follow, and I think that's going to be it uh, by not winning the division, you know. Uh, for example, and it creates some good matches. Like, for example, uh, Green Bay would be at Kansas City. That's a great game. Yeah, I'd love to see that game. So mm-hmm. uh, there's more money uh, for the players, obviously. And look, if you're going to play, I say this all the time. You know, the, the four preseason games aren't needed. Uh, it's a 20 week season right now, no matter how you split it. If you go 17 regular season and three preseason, yes, it's true that the starters don't play that fourth preseason game, and so maybe there's not as much exposure to injury and stuff like that. But for the amount of money they're going to get. Uh, as a union and as a league for that 17th game, um, it's going to be well worth their while. And, you know, to me, is it going to shorten careers? You know, uh, I mean, I think every player, you know, it's just like Thursday night, every, every player, you know, the, the their dirty secret is about Thursday night, you know, players like, well, we don't like it. No, they do. They really do. Um, cumulatively, it may not be the best thing for their careers having to play three days after they play a game on Sunday, but, or travel and then play. But really, for the practically for the week, you know, they don't have to practice. It's all walk through. It's much easier on their bodies. It's a short week, and then you get kind of an extra bye week at the end of it because you're you get Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday off. Um, so it it really works out well. And there's so much money. I think you know, uh, it was one hundred fifty, two hundred thousand dollars per player, basically on average. That they're going to give that up, you know, to do away with Thursday night football. So. Um, for that reason, I think there will be a 17th game, and, and that's how they're going to do it. So Bucks at Colts would be, uh, would be quite a matchup. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. All right, let's ask. I'm setting the over-under on Ray's victories this year at 87.5. The front office is on fire, but you can't convince me that losing Blake Snell and Charlie Morton won't cost this team some games during the course of the year. You going over or under? 87 and a half. This sounds like a Vegas wise guy to me. Um, I've read, I've read them all over the map. 
I'm going to take the over. I, there's no real reason why, except that they've won 90, 90, and in, in whatever uh, the last few years. Um, here's what I think about the pitching, and he's right. It, it's very hard to convince many people, including me, that losing Blake Snell and Charlie Morton um, makes you better. It does not. Uh, and but but last year, you know, remember now last year, uh, how many games did they play? They played 60, what, 60 games. Mm-hmm. So nobody has been stretched out. Okay, um, there's a lot of pitchers that are that used to throw close to 200 innings, 180 innings, 150 innings. Nobody did that last year. Okay, so there's an unknown about now going back to 162 games. How are these guys? How are these arms going to react? And the Rays' approach was: we've got to make up for the innings and the performance of Blake Snell and of Charlie Morton. Now, how do we do that? Well, you don't do it with two guys. You didn't find those two pitchers that just plug and play. There's our Blake Snell. There's our Charlie Morton. However, they went and got a bunch of guys, and you know maybe they don't throw 150 innings. Maybe they throw 85. Maybe they throw 90 or 100 each. But at the end of the day, they have the analytics that they can show you that, you know, Michael Waka or Rich Hill or whoever, if we if we put these guys in these situations and they throw this much and, you know, by the end of the year, our, our sabermetrics are going to come out with the same pitching performance as a staff. We just won't be doing it with, you know, three or four guys. And Chris Archer is part of that. So, you know, I think the Rays are smart enough and I think you have to trust them and particularly, you know, the other thing they factored in is just what I talked about. Like, you know, even if Charlie Morton and Blake Snell were back here, okay, how stretched out are the how many you know how many innings are they going to give you? You know, are they uh, you know are both guys going to go? They they both had arm injuries a year ago. They both have struggled a little bit of late with that, and so you know we don't know that they would have been completely healthy and and uh, recharged enough to to give you a hundred fifty innings plus. So. I just think that that this is, you know, knowing the season they're coming off of and knowing what they're facing, I think the Rays' approach is probably going to pay off to be the right one. Again, they beat you with the 45-man roster, not the, not, not the 25-man, and through the course of a season, the depth of their pitching and some of the arms that they have got in in their in their system. they got guys throwing 100 miles an hour now in spring training. They're some of the best arms in baseball are in that organization and I think Waka's going to make a big bounce back. I think Archer not being the ace of the staff without all those expectations, he's still making good money, but he's going to be behind one or two pitchers and Tyler Glass now being the, being the front front line guy now. I think that's going to help Chris uh, Waka with a better defense behind him. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things they liked about him when they analyzed his, his game with the Mets. So I, I trust the Rays, and I'm going to say that they're going to win – very close to 90 games again. Maybe that's just blind optimism, but I think I think they know how to do it. I I I don't know how you can doubt this organization after the success that they've had, and I I love Kevin Cash and what he has done. So I'm going to go with the uh, over on the 87 and a half. I'll take the over, but just barely. I'm saying 88, 88 to 90 range, and, and my reasons being, I think Boston's going to be better. I think Toronto's going to be a lot better. Mm-hmm. Uh, their division's going to be very tough. Now, they are going to get to play teams from the Central and the West, so they'll play some weaker teams along the way, too. Where if, last year, if you remember, they only played the AL East and then the NL East uh, to reduce the travel. So uh, I think the pitching's going to be an issue, but I just I think their division's going to be better, and it's going to be a tougher sled in the division. So I'll, I'll go that 88 to 90 range as far as wins for me. 
Sounds about right. Sounds good. All right, Tommy asks, Rick, how do you like Blake Coleman so far? I would like him to score more, and when Kucherov comes back, do you still see Blake Coleman staying on the third line? I don't know about the line, Steve, but I think they got something in Blake Coleman that they, they sorely lacked, and I love his game. Um, you know, I haven't found anything that he can't do if you need him to do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, he seems to be a guy that can help you in almost every phase, whether it's special teams, uh, third line, you know, scoring if you need it. I mean, what what have you found that you don't like about Blake Coleman right now? I love him. I mean, I, I, look, this team doesn't need him to score. I mean, he scored 20 goals before for the Devils, um, so he sure. can score. Uh, he's not getting power play time for the most part. Um, you know, where, that's where you can get a lot of points. And Andre Palat this year is racking up the power play points. There you um, go. But, yeah, the energy he brings, Yanni Gord will tell you, you know, he's the most annoying guy to play on the team, not Yanni. Um, <laughs> teams don't like playing against Blake. I mean, he, he's, he's a lot like Yanni Gord. They don't give up. Right. Um, they're going to be on you, harassing you, uh, never giving up on that puck. Um, I, you know, as much as, you know, last season Julian Breezeball took some, some criticism for what he gave up to get Blake Coleman and Barkley Goodrow. You see what both of those guys have brought to this team, and it helped them win a Stanley Cup. I mean, sure those did. guys were huge parts of that, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you see why he gave up what he gave up to get that extra year, too. They, it wasn't like they were Reynolds for one season. They got him, you know, the, basically for the, you know, the back half of the season last year, which turned out to be the bubble, and then this year as well. Um, I, I, really, I really like Blake, and I like Barclay, too. I mean, they both bring some different things to it, but um, – you know, he just he just doesn't quit, and, and and he can pretty much you know you can put you can put him anywhere in your lineup, and, and he's on the well, Cooper would criticize if you said third line because he'd say it's a line. Uh, he A-line, doesn't like yeah. he doesn't like numbering his lines, and he's made that very clear. But mm-hmm. um, the line with Gord Coleman and Goodrow was very effective. But you can the good thing about Blake is you can slide him up into a top two line role if you know when you have injuries or someone's out. You know he he has scored twenty goals in this league before, so he's more than capable of that. Is it possible that Julian Breezebois, he won the cup, right? Mm-hmm. Is it possible that he's done a better job than his than his mentor? Well, I I I don't know if you say a better job. Um, I mean, Eiserman built the club, I mean, right? A lot I mean, of well, and, and Julian Breezebois has been by his side the whole time. I mean, he was his assistant the whole time Eiserman was here. So right, right, and he's been a part of it. You know, I think Eiserman and the whole staff, from Al Murray and drafting to Breezebois to everybody in that in that the you know the player department, hockey ops department, built this organization yeah. and it's loaded. I don't know if Eiserman makes those trades last year. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he would have given up that much to get those guys, but mm-hmm. I think Julian Breezebois said, you know, particularly after the year before when he didn't make a move, they set the right. records and then got swept out of the playoffs. Right. Right. He said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna make a move if I can get the guys I want." And if, you know, if you remember, the other part of this is because Goodrow and Coleman both had another year left on their deals. Nobody was talking about them as trade partners. You know, it's possible that very few teams even called or inquired about them. But these were two mm-hmm. guys that the the Lightning targeted and said these are the type of players we're looking for. And there may have been others that they targeted too. They said these were the two they targeted, but it's possible mm-hmm. they had a list of five or six that they were calling around about. And if you're trying to trade for something that isn't available, you've got to pay a hefty price to get it. And they gave up a number one pick for Barkley Goodrow. They gave up a number one pick and a previous number one pick in Nolan Foote to get Blake Coleman. And, you know, it's a steep price to pay. 
but Julian Breesball was, I'm going all in, but I'm I'm not just going in for this year. I want them next year too, knowing he was going to have some salary cap crunches this year, which Nikita Kucherov's injury kind of helped out a little bit, a lot actually. But he knew he was going to have some salary cap issues, so I want players that have another year that I can get. You know, Blake Coleman's making, I think, 1.7, somewhere around there, and Barkley Goodrow's a little bit less than that, I think. That's off the top of my head. But, you know, he got players that not only were – going to help you try to win a cup that year, but you were going to have the next year too if you had to get rid of an Alex Kalorn or a Tyler Johnson or Andre Pilat to, to get under the salary cap. So, um, you know, it was a bold move by Julian Breesbon. It worked. And, and I really like what both of them have given. And it was a seamless transition. And they, they have won one cup, and they are now favored to, to go back and defend their title. And they're off to, to one of the best starts in franchise history after this many games. So the best, and, and they have the top yeah. winning percentage in, in, in the NHL this year. Toronto has more points, but they've played several more games than the Lightning to this point. So That's right. If you look so, at points percentage, meaning you know the total possible points you could have achieved, mm-hmm. uh, you know, d- divided into the number of points you have, and they have the top uh, percentage in, in hockey. I think Vegas is just barely behind them than Toronto. Yep. Good uh, deal for them. We'll wrap up on this, and Paul asked, A few months back, you did a show on best sports movies. And returning to that subject, have you guys watched the 2021 Golden Globes Best Male Actor in a comedy-winning Ted Lasso Season 1 as of yet? It's on Apple TV. He says it's the most uplifting sports comedy he's seen and the perfect antidote for COVID quarantine. I'm going to admit, and and this is sad, but uh, it is absolutely true. I'm not going to try to fake anybody out here. I don't watch a lot of TV that does not involve live sports. I'm going to be very honest. I, I've got probably about 20 years of catching up to do on series, um, dramatic series, uh, epic, you know. I mean, I think the last series I watched was The Sopranos. <laughs> that gives you wow. an idea. Yeah. So all I'm saying is uh, I saw – I've seen the previews. I, I like uh, – who's the lead actor in that? Um, Jason Sudeikis. Jason Sudeikis, who I like. He's done some good comedies, um, but I don't know anything about it. He's a soccer coach, right? Well, he's a football coach. A football coach. And he coach, gets hired okay. to coach soccer in the Premier League in England. Okay. That's the premise. Yes. Yeah, so it's a football coach who knows nothing about soccer going over to coach right. a Premier League soccer team. So it's actually mm-hmm. very good. I, I did watch it. I was a little late to it. I think I, about a month ago or so I watched it. Um, I'm not a huge Jason Sudeikis fan. He's one of those guys that it's kind of hit or miss. Either he's really good or really bad, in my opinion. Um, he's f- fantastic in Ted Lasso. I, I I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. I know a lot of people had said it was really good, so I was like, okay, I'll check this out. Um, it was really good. I, I know they're filming season two right now, uh, so that has begun. So hopefully we'll see a trailer soon, and you know maybe they'll announce a, a release date on that soon. It's on Apple TV. I think you can get some free subscriptions if you don't have it yet. Um I think I bought a Roku device and it came with three months free in that, which is why I tried mm-hmm. it. But it's it Ted Lasso is a very good so you would enjoy it. it it's uh, I mean it's 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 the, the background is soccer, but it's all about people and relationships. Much most like most TV shows are, but it's it's really well done, very funny. Um, they won a, they won a Golden Globe, right? Is mm-hmm. that right? Yeah, he won yeah. the best male actor in a comedy for that. So mm-hmm. yeah. um, he's very good in it. It's just it, it's. I don't want to give away too much if you haven't seen it, but it's... I it's, haven't. I'm yeah. putting it on my list, though, but I just don't know when I'm going to get to the list. Yeah, I think the, know, first, the first season was just 10 episodes. I think they're about a half an hour each. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're, the second season is supposed to be 12 episodes, I think I heard. so. But it's very good on Apple TV if you haven't seen it. So, Paul, I agree with you. It's, it's, it was phenomenal. I enjoyed it. Um, watched it quicker than I thought I would. You know, you're watching it like, I'll oh, just watch one, and then you watch three, and uh, it was very good. But it was the Golden Globes. It was funny. It, it, you know, first of all, um, Tina Fey and um, who was she with? Those she was hosting Amy it, Poehler. Uh, from Saturday Night Live. Amy Poehler. They're the best, right? They're just so funny. And one of the things they said was how, um, you know, uh, people will complain that a movie is too long if it lasts more than two hours, but they'll sit there and binge watch. Uh, some of these TV series for about eight or nine episodes, <laughs> and it's true. We'll do that, you know. But but um, but there's there's actually a perception to this, and I've noticed this with Netflix. And, and being in the industry, I kind of pay attention to stuff more. But when you watch like a Netflix TV show, like a, like House of Cards, I watched. So they would have you know whatever many episodes, but each episode was about an hour. It would, you know anywhere from fifty to fifty minutes to an hour. But when you watch a television show on NBC, CBS, whatever is they're going to take, you know, if it's a half an hour, they're going to take three breaks, right? There mm-hmm. is drama and suspense being created for every break. You're leading into it. You know, there's always right. a cliffhanger right. to get you sure. to stay through the break. Absolutely, yeah. And so it makes it feel like it's going faster because it, it's creating anticipation. It you watch, like, House of Cards on mm-hmm. Netflix, and that crescendo builds up for the whole episode. And so it right. feels like it's a lot longer watching that than it is. It's the same as two episodes mm-hmm. of whatever else you watch, but the those two episodes feel like they went by so much faster because right. you know the, Netflix almost makes it like it's a movie. And, and same with the movie is is you build to the crescendo to the end generally. And maybe there's a crescendo or two in the middle, mm-hmm. but it, there's not that you know television or radio too is, is supposed to do the same thing is create this. You got to come back for this. You know, those, right. you always hear the, the tease on the newscast or with television, you know, you yeah. know, your drinking water could kill you. Details at 11. Mm-hmm. What? I got to watch that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's trying to create that urgency, which when you watch movies, there isn't there. So if it's not hooking you right away, it does yeah. feel like movies take even longer than it does. And some of these television shows and streaming services, because they don't have commercials, can feel like they're dragging at times because they're not constantly creating that urgency in it to get you to stay through a television break, a commercial break. You know, it's funny that COVID has, has uh, created a, a demand for on-demand, right? And people can mm-hmm. watch, have time, maybe because they're staying home more or what, whatever. For me, um, my life hasn't dramatically changed because I'm still I'm, I'm working from home. So I worked from home a lot before. Where I used to get a, a chance to watch stuff was on vacation because I would travel and I'd be on a plane uh, for a number of hours. And then that's where I would watch, you know, the things I wouldn't watch, mm-hmm. like live sporting events at home. So... I haven't traveled really other than just to games and things, you know, quick trips. Uh, I think the longest trip we took was Las Vegas last year, but I'm looking forward to getting back out this summer and going and traveling again. And then that way I can catch up on some of this. So I'll definitely put that on my list. I've seen, I've seen the reviews. It it should be really, really good. All right. Thanks for your questions. Uh, We appreciate them very much. You don't have to wait for a mailbag segment. You can ask us questions anytime and we will uh, try to answer them for you. You do that by uh, sending them to us on Twitter at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud or many people have emailed them to me at rstroud at tampabay.com. Tom Jones, my former radio partner, will join us in the next couple of podcasts. For Steve Verstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 